Paul's letter to Philemon and the church in his house, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. This is the word of our Lord. Steve and Madeline are in this service so glad that God came through uh, with really a freak illness that uh, came upon you. Aren't you glad for that, church? Let's celebrate the Lord. Yes. Absolutely. And so uh, if you've uh, looked, the title of today's sermon is a Greek word, and that's uh, the only time I can recall ever doing that. And it is because this word shows up early in the letter of Paul to Philemon. Um, The word is koinonia, and the Greek word koinonia is where we get our English word fellowship. Fellowship. Uh, Koinonia is a relationship where the participants share in a common reality. A relationship where the participants share in a common reality. Now, um, uh, there, uh, what I want to put forth this morning to you uh, may come to you as a surprise or something you've never heard because I think uh, in Baptist life, at least when we hear the word fellowship, we think fellowship hall and we think food. And so uh, fellowship equals food to us. And I would say fellowship and food do go together, uh, that there is great fellowship had around a good meal. But fellowship and food are, uh, food does not equal fellowship. It is so much more. It is a theological term that is loaded, that is weighted. Kelly, could you raise the lights out here just a tad, please? Thank you. That's better. All right, I can see you now. That helps me when I preach. All right, so uh, fellowship and food are, uh, are, are so connected. Um, and there's a problem uh, that Paul is addressing to Philemon, uh, a gentleman who's receiving this letter that only fellowship, I think, is going to be able to solve. So I need to set up the letter just a bit. Um, and, and to remind us, that's really my job is not telling you much of anything you don't know already, but reminding us of things we already know. Um, you can do some things alone, but you can't do great things alone. Uh, you need others in order to achieve great things uh, in life and for God. And Paul writes Philemon requesting a great thing. He needs something significant to happen. You see, Philemon is a believer that, as far as we could tell, Paul met when he was in Ephesus 
and led him to Jesus. So Paul is responsible for sharing the gospel with Philemon who comes to Christ. Then Paul ends up in prison and and he's in house arrest and evidently under house arrest, he meets Onesimus. Onesimus is a slave and he's a slave of Philemon. And that seems quite the coincidence, doesn't it? That Paul would have led Philemon to Christ and Onesimus would have been Philemon's slave that Paul meets while incarcerated. Now, let me just say a word about slavery in that day. Most likely Philemon and Onesimus were the same race, so slavery was not racial in that day. Uh, Most likely a third of Colossae, a third of Ephesus, maybe half of Rome were slaves. Didn't make it right, it simply was the reality. Most of them, some of them worked in awful conditions in mines. Most of them were household servants. And it seems Onesimus must fit that category because Paul writes to Onesimus and, or to Philemon and to, uh, to Aphia and to Archippus. Uh, scholars believe that Aphia is Philemon's wife. And so it's the... And Archippus could be the son, but there's not much evidence for that. But more that Aphia is Philemon's wife, and he writes to the church that meets in their house. And Paul wants this unbelievable outcome. He wants Onesimus to be freed. Onesimus is a runaway slave in danger, in certain danger of being treated Badly should he return. But Paul is going to appeal to this word koinonia, to this reality of fellowship, and say something happened when Onesimus started following Jesus, and you, Philemon, also follow Jesus, that now Onesimus is not your slave, but he's your brother. And when that happened, Paul's going to appeal to this, look at the definition, a relationship where the participants share in a common reality. He's going to appeal to that relationship and say, based on that, don't punish him when he returns. In other words, Christian fellowship, this fellowship around a crucified and risen Jesus that we believe has this effect that can be powerful for life change and even for societal change. So for the next five weeks, believe it or not, we're going to walk through this tiny letter and along the way we'll discover what it means to be known, known by God and known by others. And when you begin life groups next week, you'll do an accompanying study for five weeks just to jump into that. Now, I must say that I've led our young adult life group through this study already this summer, and it is quite good, especially week one and the exercise that you will do. Also want you to know, over the next five weeks, we won't hammer you about joining a life group 
Our goal at Grace isn't groups, it's fellowship. You need to know that. Our goal at Grace isn't groups, it's fellowship. We are convinced because of God's word that when like-minded people come together around, around a crucified and risen Christ, that something happens in that space, be they students in middle school or high school, uh, be they college students or young adults, that there is something that happens when like-minded people come together around Jesus Christ. Now, I know that some of you have other things in common with other people. Some of you are Duke fans. Some of you are Carolina fans. Some of you are Appalachian State fans. And wow, I wish they would have pulled that one out yesterday. Some of you hunt. Some of you fish. And when you get together, you talk about hunting and you talk about fishing. And that does meet the definition of fellowship. It's the word, right? You come together around a common reality. So what makes Christian fellowship different? It's that one day in heaven, uh, who you're with now is who you're going to be with then. Because we know Christ and we will spend eternity with him and with one another. And I know as I say that, some of you are looking around a bit scared. But this is it. This is it. Like who you're with now, you'll be with, we'll, we'll be with one another then. So Christian fellowship has an eternal reality to it that nothing else does. It's powerful. So with the background of this unique letter in mind, let's jump in and uh, first of all, answer the question where fellowship comes from. Paul writes in verses one through three, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't go any further because something unique happens here and it only unless I've missed something in my study and if I have, uh, I promise, correct me, I'll receive it and correct it. If you correct me by the next service, that would be even better. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. If I remember correctly or have studied correctly, it's the only time in the opening of Paul's letter that he calls himself a prisoner. He will call himself a servant or he'll call himself an apostle, but here he identifies as a prisoner. Why? I think the reason he does is that he's writing on behalf of a slave. And Paul is going to condescend. Paul is a remarkably educated man. But he's going to condescend in the moment. He's also the only apostle who was added later. Uh, the first, first apostles, those first eyewitnesses. Paul is the only one in that esteemed group added later. And Paul here is going to step away from thoughts of his apostleship and his church planting and his missionary trips and say, I'm a prisoner too. 
I know how it feels to be in shackles, as does Onesimus. Paul is currently bound by change, just as Onesimus is bound by being Philemon's slave. But then notice how Paul describes Philemon, a beloved fellow worker. He addresses Aphia as a sister and Archippus as a fellow soldier. That word fellow is huge. It's not where we get our word fellowship from. Interestingly, it's a tiny prefix in the Greek that simply means with. A soldier with, a worker with. To be in fellowship is to be with. Uh, Paul even addresses the church that meets in your house. Now, this is a critical point. You would think that Paul, uh, addressing such a personal matter, would only write to Philemon. Why do you think he writes the, the letter or instructs Philemon that the letter is for his entire house? Because Paul is counting on this thing called fellowship, this tight-knit group, to work this out together. Philemon won't work this out alone. He'll do it in the fellowship of the saints. Just like Stephen Madeline navigated this unexpected uh, freak uh, thing that happened to him that was just something I'd never heard of in my life. And they navigated it in the context of fellowship, in the context of other brothers and sisters. I'm here to say to you this morning that you will at some time, if you have not yet, encounter a problem in your life that you can't carry alone. You will come to a situation where you will need somebody else, somebody else to walk with that through you, somebody else to hear your cries, to hear your concerns, to bear your burdens with you. David Fretwell, who's in this service, said years ago, a burden shared is half a burden. And there's something about when somebody comes alongside you and shoulders your burden with you. Don't forget the definition. Uh, fellowship where partners uh, share, where participants share in a common reality. What is it? Verses four and five. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. So we fellowship around love and faith. Love for one another, faith in the Lord Jesus. All right. Other people fellowship the opposite. They fellowship around love for hunting and faith that their partner won't shoot them. Right? It's the reverse. <clears throat> they fellowship in the reverse. We don't fellowship with our faith in one another. Why? Because uh, we know each other. We're going to let each other down. Amen? You've been married long enough. You'll let one another down at some point. If you've been in, in, in fellowship with other believers for any period of time, I'm just here to say to you, they're messed up like you. They struggle as you do. 
They doubt sometimes, they worry sometimes, they, they slip into sin sometimes, they struggle as you do. If you think, I'm going to go join a life group, and when I do, they're going to be the most amazing, godly people I just visit once or twice. I wouldn't hang around because you're going to discover some warts and some things, and you're going to discover some things and some people that might surprise you up close. Believers fellowship around love and faith. Let me illustrate. When Hannah graduated high school, she attended Catawba Valley Community College down in Hickory, and she played volleyball. Until then, except for for the Googes, we had never met any of those parents that uh, of other of other girls who played, and so we soon met them and. And saw them at home and away games. And we had the whole team in our house on more than one occasion when they were playing nearby. And we served food to them. Uh, we traveled to the national tournament two years uh, together as Hannah had an amazing run there, her team did. It was incredible. We came to love them, you might say. What came first, the love or the volleyball? volleyball. Volleyball was what drew us in. And then the relationship built around. What comes first in Christian fellowship? The love or the faith? It's faith. Every single time it's faith in Jesus Christ. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's the faith in Christ that draws you in. And when that faith draws you in, all of a sudden love grows out of that. Now, humanism today says there's so much good in every single one of us, and if we'll just hang out with other people, we'll discover that good and kind of rally around that good. That's humanism. It lasts for a while, but there's something about faith and love. And so when I uh, have faith in Jesus Christ and then I meet other believers, there is a love there that, that just emanates out of it. I've discovered it most profoundly when I go to Ecuador and meet a pastor I've never met before. And all of a sudden, though I've never met him before, I love him. And, and he loves me. Or I go to Africa and I meet Cherna. And I'd never met him before, but I still remember the first day we went to his village. Out in the bush, pushed the safari bus a couple of times out of sand just to get to that place. No electricity. We were on a discovery trip to figure out which village we would uh, adopt as a church. And as soon as we got there, there was something between Cherdna and me, like a kindred spirit, a love of one pastor to another. And I knew this was our village, and this is who we as a church would come alongside. I think that was a Friday. We returned on, uh, on that Friday. We, we saw a turkey. It's the only place I've ever seen a turkey in, in Africa. Thing was just, you know, waddling around, big old turkey. We come back on Sunday. I see no turkey. Why? In their minds, we like to eat turkey. They had bought a turkey, raised a turkey, and killed a turkey so we could have that to eat. So kind. It was really good too. <laughs> it beat what we'd been eating. And there was fellowship. When our grandson was born, 
Hannah, who's made more than one trip to Africa, through WhatsApp, sent them a message that Elliot was born. And then out of that village, here comes live video. And Esther and Cherna celebrating the birth of our grandson. Fellowship. What does it come out of? Faith. There's something about knowing the same Jesus, regardless of skin color, regardless of uh, the fact that the average income is $2 a day in Senegal. There's something about this commonality of faith. We as believers share common faith in one Savior. What makes it different from volleyball? We still know those coaches that were amazing Christian coaches. We still know them. They reach out from time to time. Hannah's still friends with some of the players. Uh, the answer is that one is temporary and the other is eternal. We will live forever somewhere with someone. That's the reality. We will live forever somewhere with someone. Uh, if that's where fellowship comes from, where does it go? Where does it go? Verse 6, and I pray that the sharing, that's the word koinonia. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Sharing, koinonia, that's the word. Fellowship is so powerful that it must have an outlet. For fellowship not to have an outlet is to create a holy huddle. Hey, there ain't no room for those. No room for this mindset of my four and no more. No room for this attitude that I'm going to find out and figure out some pretty hefty theological principles. And once I do, you better adhere to points three, five, seven, eight, nine. And when you do, when you do, you're in. No, the fellowship is around a risen Savior. Last night I was working in my yard and I was putting out pine needles, you know, to the honks of horns that go by. Zane Allison's text, why in the world are you working so late on a Friday? All of those kinds of things. But in my ears, I'm listening to Alistair Begg, my favorite preacher to listen to. I'm listening to Alistair Begg. And Alistair Begg is preaching a sermon on the centrality of the cross. And he talks about this in that sermon. I'd heard this before, didn't know it was in that sermon. But in that sermon, he talks about how it must have been for the thief on the cross to arrive in heaven. And he said, it must have gone something like this, that this thief shows up in heaven and the angel greets him and says, well, what are you doing here? And the thief says, I don't know. You don't know? The angel says and steps back and checks him out and says, hold on a minute. Goes and gets a senior angel. We got this as... Beg says, this chap, he's, he's, he's Scottish. We have this chap here who doesn't know why he's here. He doesn't know why he's here. And so the senior angel looks at him and says, okay, let me ask you a few questions. Could you tell me a bit about justification by faith? And the thief says, I don't even know what that is. 
Well, could you uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, uh, and he goes through different parts of theology. I've never heard of it, never heard of it. Well, why are you here? And the thief says, the man on the middle cross said I could come. That's the gospel. That's the good news, isn't it? That's why we're here this morning. When you get to heaven, it will not be because you figured out some things that you find to be unbelievably important in your world and in your mind. It will be because you look. If somebody's standing there and says, why should I let you into my heaven? You'll look at that person and say, because the man on the middle cross said I could come. That's the only reason you'll get there. It won't be because of what you know. It won't be because of what you can do. It won't be because you walked in here this morning, dropped a big check in the offering plate. We don't have those, but it won't be because of that. It will be because Jesus Christ on the middle cross said you could come and I could come and you could come and I could come. That's grace, amen? That's grace. That's grace. Fellowship is that powerful, it must have an outlet. No room for holy huddles, no room for my four and no more. Jesus assured us of this in the prayer he prayed before he was betrayed, John 17, 20. And 21, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you want to know what attracts outsiders? What attracts lost people? Oneness? Togetherness? Fellowship? There's something about it magnetic so what happens when God's people fellowship Andy Stanley says circles are better than rows the point is that you can come into this place and leave unknown but it's so much harder to sit in a circle and be unknown isn't it you can do it but if the group is healthy they won't let you notice Paul's prayer for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Paul says, I want your fellowship to work out so that you will know fully what's already in you for the sake of Christ. So so what does this mean? Here's the reality. I don't know me like I know me when somebody else knows me. Let me say that again. I don't know me like I know me when somebody else knows me. You say, Jerry, I don't agree. Get married. (laughs) Get married. Oh, yeah. You'll get to know one another real fast. And if you have a good, healthy marriage, you'll talk about some things that will frustrate you and, and reveal. It's just the reality of that. Marriage is such a gift. It's such a sanctifying gift. That's what happens when believers fellowship. If you truly want to know what it means to walk with God, walk with God with others who walk with God. 
Walk with God with others who walk with God. You'll learn every good thing. All of a sudden, these things you have in Jesus will start to be revealed. You see, Philemon is faced with a difficult decision because he could lose face in the community if he yields to a runaway slave. If he is widely known, he may lose his status if he is known as someone who is soft on slavery. And there will be a financial cost of freeing a slave. But since Paul wrote the letter to Philemon, to his wife, and to the church that meets in his house, he's got help in making this decision. Doing life by yourself is like changing lanes on Interstate 85 in Atlanta with no side mirrors. You're going to crash. And Satan comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He'd love for you to try to live just like that. Paul commends Philemon, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, he says, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. You see, Philemon has a track record of refreshing the hearts of the saints already. And now Onesimus has become one. He has become one. You say, well, Jerry, what do I do? All right, so these are going to be gentle call-outs. All right, they're call-outs. They're going to be gentle. And for the first one, I'm going to look at the screen. All right, the camera in front of me. Attend in-person worship. We provide this not for people who can get in a car and come here. And so if you're watching and you have the health and the ability to get up and get in a car and come here. I'm calling you out. Get out of your pajamas, <laughs> off your sofa, and be around people. You have to. We refuse to call online worship, online worship here. It was a decision we made clearly because we think that's an oxymoron. For those of you who can't, don't feel guilty. This isn't for you. And for those of you, we know you check us out there first before you walk in here, and that's a good idea because we, we're crazy. Uh, so, <laughs> fair. Secondly, join a life group. For the rest of you, join a life group. Uh, you say, how do I do that? It's just a simple thing to do today is go see David in Next Steps and say, I need to be in a group. My husband and I, my wife and I need to be in a group. If you wonder if you'll fit in a group, uh, there are just different ways. We've got age and stage groups and geographical groups. Our goal at that, David doesn't get paid commission on how many people are in life groups. No, our goal is fellowship. Our goal is fellowship. And so we would be remiss if you did life alone. 
And you may say, I already have my fellowship circle. So long as that is honest and it's built around Christ and there's some, that's great. But if it isn't, that's risky. And third, it, it's this week. If you've never come to a First Wednesday worship service, you should. So what do we do at First Wednesdays? Well, this week, the stage will be set up right in the middle, right here in the middle. We'll, be, we'll meet in the round around that stage. Caleb Jones, a young preacher here, will preach. We'll baptize some people. And we'll take and do what when Icy lived with us, an exchange student from Africa, a Muslim, thought it was the strangest thing. We'll drink a little bit of juice and eat a little piece of bread. Why? Because we believe that little bit of juice represents the blood of Jesus. And that bread represents his body. And we'll fellowship around that. We intentionally do that on First Wednesdays because we know on Sundays there are quite a few of you perhaps who don't know Jesus. Scripture says if you take this without knowing Jesus, it's serious. And we believe that. So come to First Wednesday and worship fellowship. Let's pray. Lord, we, we wait unless we read ahead to see how Philemon responds. Will this koinonia, this fellowship that he shares with the church in his house, will it translate over to Onesimus? Will it run that far, that deep? Lord Jesus, will, um, will this fellowship that he shares with Paul, prisoner and a brother, will it run that deep? Deep enough for Paul to make a bold request. We wait. Lord, as we go into this fall, as life groups come back together who've been apart for the summer, I pray for a sweet time of sharing. I pray for moms and dads who are going to talk about kids who came to Christ this summer, kids camp and Caswell. I pray for those who've experienced loss a diagnosis since they last met. I pray that that group will be like a small army surrounding those individuals and families whose lives have been shattered by unexpected news. Thank you for the fellowship that we experience in the large here. It's real. The Spirit is able to bind hundreds of people together. And thank you for the fellowship that can be experienced in a circle. 